Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. I have Hillavy back on today's episode I met with her last week, so if you didn't hear the beginning of her story, listen to last week's episode first and then meet us here. We're just going to jump right into our conversation. I'm so happy to talk about C.S. Lewis. My son just read all the Chronicles of Narnia, the chronic, what cools Narnia, right? All seven books, and then we watched the movies, and he was not happy with the movies, the ones on Disney+. Plus. He was like, Mom, I don't think C.S. Lewis would be happy with these things. They are too violent, and they're missing all these things. So we love C.S. Lewis at our house, the screw tape letters, and, and all the amazing things that he has written. Why C.S. Lewis for you? What drew you to his writings? I've loved C.S. Lewis since I was a little girl and read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I remember my pastors. I grew up Anglican. I stepped away for many years and I came back to the Anglican Church, which also happens to be what C.S. Lewis's faith is. And I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it was given to me because my mother had just died of leukemia and I was nine years old. And I spent a lot of that first year after her death inside my closet, just hoping that I could get out into Narnia. C.S. Lewis's works became so important to me. His words, courage, dear heart, that he says to Lucy, boy, that has been something that's just walked with me through my life. When I was in high school, I started reading the screw tape letters, which for those of you who aren't familiar with the screw tape letters, it's a satirical series of letters from a senior demon named Screwtape, and he writes them to his nephew, Wormwood, who he's training to be a junior tempter. And Uncle Screwtape here is trying to get his nephew to lead the patient that they speak of into temptation. And so it's a series of letters that really list very thoroughly all the methods of temptation that the devil tries to lead us into and different techniques to drag our souls, our spirits away from the one true God. And that book did a huge change in my life. But later on in my life, after a betrayal, 
I reread it in a whole different light. And my husband and I have gone through it and we've studied it together. And just looking at the different points in both of our lives where we have you know, walked away from the truth into the book, he even talks about media's effect. Remember, he's written this book in like 1942, right? So he talks about the way media has drugged men into looking at the ideal woman. And he goes through the different time periods of how she dresses, how she looks, how she carries herself, but perceive the woman always as an object. And it was so eye-opening to me. And I really really encourage people to read C.S. Lewis's Four Loves. When he talks about love in the book, he talks about storge, which is the affection, the appreciation of a person. It's kind of the love from parent to child. It's a humble love. It involves affection. That's the storge love. You have to have storge love because it's kind of a foundation where you build your relationships. And then phileo love, where we get the city Philadelphia, it's the brotherly love. It is the friendship love. And Lewis often talks about, in referring to his wife, that phileo love was the strength that brought him into that marriage. It was that friendship that binds you with an individual. Before you move on, it strikes me that with sex addicts, they are incapable of even just the affection part, that basic type of love that you talked about, like step one, that so many of them are just even incapable of affection. You're right. Did you notice his first quote that I gave talks about you can selfishly wrap yourself up and not even feel, but you'll never experience love. And sex addicts don't experience love. What they think they're experiencing is eros which we all know, we all hear the words arrows. Oh yeah, ha ha ha, that's sexual love. That's sexual desire. But it isn't. It's an intimacy, a romantic love. A sexual desire without eros wants it. It wants just sex, right? The act of sex, sex as the verb. But what eros really is, is eros desires one being, the beloved. It desires to be treasured. It desires to treasure the individual, the person that they love. That's what Eros is. It's so misinterpreted. It isn't just, hey, I've got a great feeling, you know, scratch my itch and move on. That's what we say today. That's what we're told love is, and it isn't. It winds itself around with, I'm going to drive you crazy here with this, but you've heard the word agape, right? Agape love, God's love, right? About two years ago, I was at a C.S. Lewis conference and, and somebody had said something about agape love and they were corrected. It is not pronounced agape. It's pronounced agape. <laughs> I know, right? That's the Greek word, but that is the final of the four loves. That is the divine, selfless love, the giving love. And we think of that as Christ and his giving himself for us. That's what we look at. But it is also the love that is described in Ephesians 5, when a husband must love his wife, that agape, agape, and lay his life down for her. That's what true love is. And it's not something that comes naturally. It is something that is learned because you begin with the storge and into the affection, the, the phileo, the friendship. And the agape is something we hope 
happens throughout life, that we lay down our lives for one another. That's why when we see love on television or in a movie or read a book and the emphasis seems to be just on the sexual relationship, it is the most misguided use of the word love. I love talking with women who have been in trauma, who have used art and literature and, you know, theater in your case, in my case, I garden a lot or, you know, different modes of processing to help us move through the trauma. But it also helps give us these epiphanies or these new things to learn and gives us a way to have that post-traumatic growth to go through the experience. And we can come out the other side, better people and more knowledgeable and have more depth to us as a result of the trauma? The arts reveal ourselves. I mean, there are people who I think are misguided that say, well, we should show everything as an art, the good, the bad, the very bad, the obscene. That's all part of art. It isn't. Art should reflect the things that are beautiful, that are kind. And that's not to say that good art, be it uh, visual art or theater or music, shouldn't have conflict. It should, but you need resolution. And it seems in a lot of the art we see today in all mediums, we're not having a resolution that says, you know, truth. We used to tell stories that had morals to them. And that was, was what we used to tell these stories. Every one of C.S. Lewis's um, Chronicles of Narnia, they have a story behind them. And there's something we, even as adults, learn from those stories. Good literature... Uh, children's literature, C.S. Lewis said, is not good literature if an adult can't read it and enjoy it. I remember doing Oliver once, and I sat down with my students, and we talked about the character Nancy in Oliver, and how she was a very sad and abused character. So, uh, Bill Sykes beats her. Isn't she the one that sings, as long as he needs me? Everyone should listen to that and realize we've all been Nancy. Yeah, I played Nancy, yes, with a drummer, that first drummer I talked about. Yeah, he was in the pit orchestra and I was playing Nancy. Um, <laughs> I talked with the kids about the abuse because we were going to have to act it out. You're working with high school kids or middle school kids, and they have to act out this abuse that happens to her. I always like to have a percentage of our profits of our shows go to some cause, some organization. And my kids, 100% on their own, said, we want our profits to go to a battered women's shelter. And my heart just sang because they understood. They understood that this was not right. The actress that played Nancy in my uh, school production was phenomenal. She has gone on to fight civil rights causes now, and I absolutely am so proud of her for that. You know, we use art to teach. I mean, what we do right here in our conversation is the art of conversation, and it's the art of storytelling. And it's really important that every woman can tell her story. And that's what this podcast is for, that any woman with a story of abuse, of betrayal, who wants to come and share is welcome here. And that is what makes this podcast so amazing, I think, is that the stories are all very different. The details are different, but the patterns are the same. And so as we hear story after story after story, we can start seeing these very clear patterns of abuse and what it looks like. And that helps us make better decisions in our own lives. The women whose husbands are not going to be open and vulnerable and generous, generous with everything. If he wants to hold back money from you and not take care of you, 
that love that we just spoke about, that giving love, that's not there. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. And now back to our conversation. So you go through these years of abuse, this years of psychological fog, we'll call, and then you go through years of bad therapy, and then you have a good therapist, which is awesome, and then you find BTR. Can you talk about how you found BTR? (laughs) Oh, yes, sister. We were still in our yucky stage at that time, and I was looking for anyone who truly understood what the abuse was, the pain I was feeling, your tears transcended into my heart because I cried with you while I was driving. I was identifying with you. To find you, though, I was looking up every single podcast I could find that had to do with marriage, betrayal, and there were a lot of them, and there were a lot of bad podcasts. I had a 45-minute drive through the mountains, and the beautiful Rocky Mountain forests uh, to work, to teach, and 45 minutes coming home. And so I would download my podcasts every single day, and I went through so many really bad teachings. From other podcasts? Yes. One guy that kept telling women how important it was that their body was you know, a, their body was the temple of the Holy Spirit and needed to be glorified by their husband. <laughs> oh, well, you know, all the bad things that are out there, but there was nobody being vulnerable and you were vulnerable. I came upon you and I remember just hearing you cry and crying along with you and the vulnerability of the walks that you had. The one in particular that tore my heart out was your trip to Disneyland. Was it Legoland? Maybe it was Legoland, but you'd had a big fight in the car outside. Yeah, yeah. So it was Legoland. This was after the fact. He wrote this letter telling me he was so sorry about the day he was irritable at Legoland on July 3rd, 2015. Like this specific day, right? And that was all he was saying sorry for and sent me $300. Is that the one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's the one. Oh, I just wish I could have called you. Here's another 300. What an absolute jerk. I'm sorry, but oh, you know, I hate to keep jumping back to C.S. Lewis, but that phileo love, what? You two, I thought I was the only one, right? I felt a friendship right there. You were being vulnerable and allowing yourself to share things that were happening in your life and trying to find some sort of peace, trying to figure out where your life was going. I was in that same space. Where am I going? What am I doing? You know, how am I going to make it through tomorrow when I've got to go home tonight? I think the key was hearing the words betrayal, trauma, and then the word recovery, Mm -hmm. because that's what I was seeking, betrayal, trauma, recovery. It became listening to you over and over every day. 
Well, I'm so honored and so grateful that of all the things you tried to listen to, that I was the one that stuck with you because I felt like I'm just podcasting into the, you know, abyss. <laughs> and I didn't know if anyone was listening or if I even made sense. And, you know, even now I have this sense that I have interviewed so many people and read so many books. And, you know, if I could get a PhD in abuse, which I can, but I don't want to, because that would take forever. Essentially, you know, I have all this education now that I didn't have before through this podcast has given me the motivation and the means to do that and interview all these incredible people. But like, I still don't know what I don't know. You know, I'm still on this journey. That for me is still a vulnerable place to be. I'm still podcasting in real time. I'm still saying, help me. Recently, some things have come to my attention that were huge that I didn't know before and about legal things and custody things. And there's so much to process and to understand and to visualize and to, you know, put into infographics that we post on all the social media and stuff like that. And you can only really understand it when you're living with it every day. It's not the kind of thing that you can just go to a couple of classes and then say, oh, I know all about this trauma thing. I know everything that a victim would probably experience because it takes years to gather up all this information and all the experience and face all the problems and having to problem solve this. Again, that's why I'm so grateful that it's a community because I hear what's going on and then I'm like, oh, you know, women are having trouble about boundaries. How can we teach this in a way that helps make sense of it? So we created a guide to boundaries, which is on our YouTube channel. Or just don't think that you can anticipate all of the problems a victim is going to face unless you're actually a victim actually going through it. Absolutely. And each day is another step. If you listen to your beginning podcast where you started out and listen to where you are now, there are all sorts of steps we go through. The thing that disappoints me the most, not about your podcast, is that it seems like so few men really get it. I want to say here that for every man who does not understand this, for every man who chooses to defend himself rather than repent, rather than change his behavior, you have a woman and children who are being abused. This isn't just a scenario where, oh, it's too bad for him because he doesn't get it. This is a scenario where women, even if they're divorced, are continually exposed to someone who is emotionally and psychologically dangerous for them, who harms them. It's way more serious than just, oh, he doesn't get it or she wants me to change and I'm not changing because the results are suffering, serious suffering throughout the world at the hands of someone who should be really genuinely caring and protecting you, your own husband, who has turned into someone who is harming you frequently. We're going to break here again, and I'm going to finish my conversation with Hillaby next week. So stay tuned. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, 
and Rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there 